0: Well, I had a bit of a problem, almost, almost had a bit of a problem, and it was this. Now, I, I've heard that some people had a problem, and I'm thankful that I wasn't one of them. It's football season, and for the first time in about four years, I started a fantasy football league and haven't done fantasy football in like four years, but I got the itch again, and I said, okay. So I invited some guys, and we got together, and we're, we're doing some fantasy football, And I'm talking to some other guys, and they're like, yeah, uh, last week we had our draft on Saturday night, and somebody drafted Andrew Luck, and then an hour later, he announces he's retiring, and now they're left without a quarterback on their fantasy team. And it got a little rocky, and I can tell you from being at the game when the news broke, I had to tell my youngest son to cover his ears, (laughs) like, you didn't hear that, you know, um, not because of his retirement, but because of the words that were being thrown around in, at Lucas Oil Stadium. I'm like, okay, you know not to say that, right? Don't ever say that word ever. And so we had kind of have a little bit of discussion about that, and and it was it was pretty pretty ugly. And then later that day, in the press conference, Andrew Luck says this. He says, "I felt stuck, and the only way out." The only way out of it is to no longer play football. It's taken my joy away from the game. Talking about his injuries and other things going on in his life. And so what happened, if I can just kind of put this in a nutshell, from my view and my perspective, is that all of the injuries and all of the rehab and everything that it takes to be able to play the sport that he loved, those things surmounted and became bigger than his passion to play the game. And they were bigger than his passion. And it's not uncommon though it's certainly not common, it's not uncommon either. People like Icky Woods, uh, Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson all retired early and I could the list could go on and on, retired early in their prime because the passion wasn't there, the work to maintain that level, they didn't have the passion to continue to maintain that level of intensity because it's sacrifice. One of the things that I tell my youngest son, I said, the reason you see these professional athletes playing Fortnite is because they weren't playing video games growing up. They sacrificed the hours of playing video games to spend it on the field or to spend it getting their bodies ready to play so that when they became professionals, now they can spend hours playing Fortnite. What you see is them playing Fortnite for hours. What you didn't see is all the hours they spent and the The family get-togethers, they sacrificed. And the birthdays, they sacrificed. And the things that they sacrificed to be able to be on the field or on the court to do what they really love to do, they sacrificed things. And the reason they're attending birthday parties now and the reason they've got all the bling now is because they sacrificed and spent years sacrificing. And the Bible calls us as Christians... To sacrifice things in this life, because when we arrive in the next life, we'll be able to have the bling. Right? Yes. Amen. God says that if you sacrifice in this life, Galatians tells us that when we stand before God, that all of the works that we did on this life will be uh, put into a trial, basically a fire, they'll be put into the fire. And anything that we've done in our life that isn't worthwhile and isn't for God will be burned up, and what remains are the rewards that we will get when we get into heaven. And so the things that we've done for God in this life will be rewarded for when we get to heaven. And there will be some, there will be some people in heaven that have more rewards than others when we get to heaven. Because some people chose to live more passionately for God in this life than passionately, for other things in this life, and so what we 're going to talk about this morning is passion, and I know you have passion. you know how I know you have passion because you have an extended weekend and you chose to come here. You have the passion you have the passion to come and say, "I know I have an extended weekend and Please, I'm not dissing on anybody who's not here, but I'm saying you chose to say, you know what, I'm staying, I'm going to go to church this morning, I'm going to get up. And even if it was a regular weekend, you chose to get out of bed and say, I'm going to have passion for Jesus, more passion for Jesus, and sacrifice these couple of hours for anything else I could be doing. And so because of that, the Bible says that when you arrive in heaven, the Lord's going to say, you sacrifice for me, here's your reward. Here's your reward. And so we're called to live With passion. We're called to be living sacrifices in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this Therefore, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says, Therefore, I urge you, I urge you. You ever had anything that was urgent? Like, got to be taken care of right now? The word urge here in the Greek is the word parakaleo. That's two words, para "kaleo." Para, you're familiar with that. You're familiar with the word para. It means to come alongside of. It means to be beside someone. Paracord is cords wrapped around each other. They're cords that are beside one another. Paracord, right? Para means to be beside. Kaleo is where we get our English word to call. And so when you put beside and call together, it means I'm beside you, but I'm calling you out. I'm beside you. I'm your friend. I'm your partner, but I'm calling you out on this. And so Paul says, as your brother in Christ, I urge you, sisters and brothers, I'm calling you out in this issue, or in this moment, or in this thing, I'm calling you out for this. How many of you have had a friend call you out? Let me see your hand. Okay, if you've got your hand up, you have a real friend, because a real friend will call another friend out, even though it's not comfortable, even though it's difficult. They'll say, I love you enough to tell you. You've got something in your nose right there. You've got a bat in the cave right there. You need to take care of that, right? Like, friends will, friends will tell you when things aren't right. They'll tell you when you're starting to go off course and veer off course. Friends will come alongside you in those moments to help keep you on track. Friends will go to friends and say, hey, didn't see you at church today. How's the Bible reading going? How's your prayer life? Right? There's an interesting study in the Journal of Applied Psychology, and they did a study. It just came out in the middle of of June of this year, and they studied 400, I'm sorry, they studied 304 speeches from 23 high schools and universities at halftime of various athletic events. They studied 304 halftime speeches of 23 high schools and universities. And what they discovered shocked a lot of people. They found that in these 304 halftime speeches, that the speeches that were in your face and slightly negative did more to spur the team to spur the team to play better in the second half than positive uplifting speeches. Now that seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? Now, when I say negative, I don't mean berating and insulting. I mean, we're up by 20. We could be up by 30 if we would just do this. That kind of thing, where they point out that, yeah, we're here, but we should be here. We could do this. You could have two touchdown passes had you adjusted your throwing this direction or this way. They found that those speeches caused the teams to play better in the second half than speeches that said, oh, you're so good. That touchdown pass was so beautiful and thrown so perfectly. It's just wonderful. Just keep playing that way. Why? Because we inherently need a parakaleo. We inherently need somebody to come alongside of us and go, you know, you're doing really good, but you could, you could be doing better. You're not bad, but let's get good. We all need that from time to time in our life. And so he says, I urge you, I'm coming alongside of you, and I'm telling you, you need to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. (laughs) Now that, my friends, is a paradox. Because what happens when you sacrifice something? What happens when you, put something on an altar, and you kill it, don't you? Don't you kill it? And he goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be living. I want you to livingly kill it. But if something's killed, it can't be living. And if something's living, it's not killed. It's not dead. But Paul says, I want you to be alive and be killing it. I want you to be alive, and I want you to be killing it. it it's, it's paradox. It's it's a living thing that's slain. It's a jolt. J O L T. It's a jolt. It's it's what I call a jolt. A, a jolt is a jolt is the joy of living transformed. Jolt. A jolt to my system is the joy of living transformed. I'm not like I was, and I'm not like I'm going to be. I find it joyous to be in this spot, to know where I've come from, and to know where I'm going. I've jolted my life. I've jolted the system. I've shocked my life. I've shocked my system to know that this is not okay, that this is better. And so I'm going to go down this road, and I'm going to jolt my system. I'm going to find the joy of living transformed so that I can continue to move forward and kill the things in my life that don't need to be killed. Or killing the things in my life that need to be killed, removing the things in my life that need to be removed, and living for the things that I need to be living for. It's a jolt to the system. And when you first do that, it's going to jolt your system. You're going to live as a sacrifice, as Paul said. We have to live in a rhythm of perpetually dying to our interest. Jack Hafer, a, a pastor and Bible scholar, says that his Christian life, is boiled down to something very simple. And and I'm going to paraphrase in my own words, but I love it because I've actually begun to, I have applied it to my life, started applying it to my life several years ago, and it's been a tremendous help. So I hope that it will help you. I hope that when you hear this, that you'll take it, you'll write it down, put it on your mirror. When you're brushing your teeth, you can read it. But this is what he says. Again, it's my paraphrase. How do I stick it to myself? How do I destroy my desire? How do I stick it to myself today? Today, how can I tell myself no? Today, how can I tell myself yes? How can I take my fleshly wants and my desires and say, no, Tyson, not today? If you talk to anybody who is great, when I say great, you know, one of the people that I podcast that I listen to is John Piper. I like to listen to John Piper. I listen to John Maxwell. And one of the things that all of these great men say is they don't watch TV. They don't have time for TV. They pick up a book, they read it. They're studying, they're learning. Now, they can tell you in generality what maybe the score was, or maybe they can kind of tell you that, oh, yeah, that show exists, but they can't tell you what happens. Here's what I've learned from great people. They're not laying around watching TV. They're not sitting around on, on their rumps playing video games. They're sacrificing. They're sticking it to, would I like to sit down and watch TV and just zone out? Yes, but I'm sacrificing it. I'm getting rid of it. So you're like, oh, I'm not giving up that show. I'm not, I'm not saying for you to do that. I'm saying what these men that, that have accomplished a lot and that travel the world and they speak and they've written books, they don't, they don't sit around and do nothing. They're sacrificing, Do, and, I, and I've heard them on their podcasts, and I've heard them in their sermon and in their speeches. Do they want to? Yes. Yes, there's, there's part of them that wants to, but they have to kill it. They get rid of it. They don't, they don't yield to that. They don't give themselves to that. And so Paul says, I urge you to live as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Now, in our culture today, we don't really sacrifice a living animal on an altar, Right, for whatever various reasons, it's gory, it's unnecessary, it's, you name it. But Paul uses terminology that they would understand. And in their culture, in Jewish culture, there were six sacrifices. Six. I'm just going to list them, I'm going to tell, tell you what they are, and then I'm going to tell you which sacrifice he is specifically speaking of. So, of the, of the six sacrifices in their day, the first one was burnt offerings. This is a submission to God's will. We're going to come back to that because this is the one he's talking about. Burnt offering, sacrifice. The second one is a peace offering. And it expresses gratitude to God for his blessings. God, because you have so richly blessed me, I'm going to sacrifice this as a peace offering. And I don't have time this morning to get into all of them. The next one is a sin offering. This is, this is a known sin. You know you've committed a sin, and so you're asking God to forgive you. It's called a sin offering. A guilt offering is, a, is similar to a sin offering, except that, God, I know I've sinned, but I don't know what the sin is, but I'm guilty of it. I don't know what I did wrong, but I know I'm guilty. I'm gonna sacrifice. So there's a sin offering for known sins. There's a guilt offering for unknown sins. There's a food and drink offering, and this is declaring my devotion to dedicating my work to you, God. This is, this is me saying, I'm going to give this over to you because I am dedicating my nine-to-five job to you. And really, it is kind of what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks, starting next week, is our new series on how do I do my job, how do I view my job in light of Scripture Because most of us go to work and we think, okay, I'm just taking x-rays, I'm painting this house, I'm laying this road, and it's not really holy or scriptural. The Bible doesn't say that that digging rocks or running a bobcat is scriptural. And I think what you're going to find is that's simply not true. And so we're going to dive into that for the next several weeks, how your job is holy, it is sacred, and God has called you to it. It's more than just a paycheck. And then the, the last one is a red heifer offering, um, and that's for cleansing. If you've come in contact with, 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 a, with a dead body or something that's dying, it is to cleanse you of that. But let's go back to the burnt offering. You see, when they would do a burnt offering, because this is the offering that Paul's talking about, a burnt offering required your best. It required your best cow. It required your best goat, best sheep. Whatever was your best, the one that you thought you could take the market and get the most out of, doesn't go to market. It goes to the temple to be slaughtered. And that is so counterintuitive, isn't it? Because you think, well, this is my best hog. I'm going to get the most money out of this hog. I should take that to market and sell it. God, I'll give you number two hog. But that's not what God wants Because by giving God the best, you're saying, I'm totally, 100% aligned with you. I'm giving you my best. And if you give God your best, then what you're really saying is, I trust you to bless the rest. It's the whole concept of tithing and giving in the Bible. God, I give you the first, and I trust that you'll bless the rest. That's the idea behind the burnt offering, And so Paul says, without reservations, therefore, I come alongside you and I'm calling you out. Live your life as a sacrifice. The burnt offering was an expression of passion. The burnt offering was an expression of passion. Saying, everything I have, the best that I have is yours. And I'll figure out how to handle the rest. But too many of us want to include, rather than trust God with faith, and trust him with trust and belief which are all spiritual values we want to get in intellectually and say well intellectually that doesn't that doesn't seem to make much sense so i'll take the best go make that money and give god that god's like i'm not i'm not interested in you figuring out the math on your hog or your cattle or your dove or your sheep i'm interested do you trust me do you have faith in me and so paul says to live your life has a living sacrifice. He says he calls us to sacrifice. People who sacrifice have passion. Passion causes you to sacrifice. Whether it be Joan of Arc, Martin Luther King, or Jesus, passion causes sacrifice because you say yes to this. And inherently, you can't say yes to one thing without saying no to something else. You can't. In our multitasking world we like to think we can do everything but we can't right if you say yes to meeting your friend at nine o'clock in the morning over a cup of coffee to have a discussion then anything else you could do at nine o'clock in the morning you're inherently whether you've said no or not you're inherently saying no to and so when you live your life for Jesus and sacrifice your life for Jesus and sacrifice your desires for Jesus, inherently, you don't have to say no. Just by saying yes, you say no to everything else. You can't say yes to everything. And so Paul says, I'm coming alongside of you, and I want you to say yes to God. And he goes on a little bit further in this chapter, in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the lord the word zeal means urgently diligent urgently diligent now i can be urgent but not diligent right i can be urgent i gotta get up and i gotta pull the weeds out of the landscaping and i gotta pull these weeds and I, and I get out there and i do it and then i'm at it for about five minutes and i'm done I stepped on my own toes, and I'm sure that I stepped on somebody else's toes. It's urgent, but you're not diligent, because about 10 minutes in, you're like, man, pulling weeds is tough. So then you do what I do. You go to Lowe's, you get some weed killer, and you're like, and you spray everything. And the wife comes out and goes, why are my irises dead? (laughs) I don't know. Right? No, I didn't spray her irises. I knew better than that. I love my marriage, and I I love my life, and I love my wife. So I didn't spray her irises. But you can be urgent, but not diligent. You can be diligent, but not urgent. Yep, I'll do it tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow comes, I start working on it, and then I can finish up the rest tomorrow. And you can be diligent day after day after day, but have no sense of urgency. Zeal means to be urgent and diligent. It's exactly what you want when you go to ER. I need you to be urgent, and I need you to be diligent. Right? So if anybody works in the ER, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say. But sometimes I sit in the ER waiting room, and it's not urgent. I don't think. Unless there's some... Let me tell you. One time, I had kidney stones, and... It hurt, like, a lot. Anybody uh, who's had kidney stones? Okay, I just broke all kinds of HIPAA regulations. No, I'm kidding. Right? And so, it hurt. And I'll, I'll share you all the gory details. But I got to the ER, and they made me sit in the waiting room with kidney stones. And, I mean, the pain is, like, coming. Hitting hard, I'm like seeing spots. The pain is so, it's painful. Somebody goes, you know, that's like having a baby. I'm like, yeah, look. <laughs> then let the women have the babies. I'm fine with that, right? <laughs> let the women have the babies. That's, that's awesome. That was a great design, God. I applaud you for that. Awesome. And so what happens, I have no, there's no sense of urgency in the ER where I'm at. At least I don't feel like there is. I'm sure there was, but it wasn't happening fast enough. So you know what I did? Gosh, this is horrible. Lynn's shaking her head like, I can't believe you're going to say this. I started moaning in my wheelchair and moaning louder. And it didn't happen, so I moaned louder. And then I started squirming in my wheelchair And I started exaggerating. I don't know how I could exaggerate kidney stone pain, but I did. I was exaggerating. And I knew, because I'd worked in the ER before as a social worker, I knew that if I got crazy enough, they'd want the crazy man out of there because he's going to create pandemonium amongst everybody else. See, your pastor played the system. Sorry. I don't encourage that. But, so I just, I, I wasn't a pastor at the time. So there. So I'm like screaming, I, I'm not screaming, but I'm like moaning loud. I'm squirming in my chair, I'm like, oh, yeah, and I'm going crazy. And she goes, oh, Mr. Priest, we have a room for you. I'm like, Yeah, I bet you do. Right? And so I wanted them to be urgent and diligent. I wanted them diligent and urgent. And so Paul says, I need you in your faith to be urgent and diligent to create a sense of urgency and a a sense of diligency. He says in zeal, keep your spiritual fervor. That phrase literally means to keep boiling. Keep it boiling. Keep your spiritual fervor, keep your spiritual passion, keep it boiling. Whatever it is you gotta do, keep it boiling. Whatever you have to do to keep your, your Christian walk on fire and boiling for Christ, do it, do it. If that means getting on your knees beside your bed and crying out to God, do it. If that means turning off a TV and reading your Bible for a half hour, and even after a half hour you go, I have no idea what I just read, but I trust God that it'll come to me, then do it. Do it. Do whatever it takes, Paul says, with urgency and diligence to keep your spiritual passion going, keep it on fire. So if I can just kind of take the definitions of these words and put it back in the verse, it reads like this. Never be lacking in diligent urgency, but keep your spirit boiling for serving the Lord. Wow. Let me read that again. Never be lacking in diligent urgency, but keep your spirit boiling for serving the Lord. And so... We're asked, Paul's asking us. He says, You gotta live with passion. You gotta live with your spirit on fire and boiling, and you gotta be diligent about it, and you gotta be urgent about it. And and here's what happens. And and I know people that that don't have the passion because when you ask them to get involved with, with church, they say, I'm not sure I have the time. How would your life change if you stopped asking about I don't know if I don't have I don't know if I have the time? And what if you started asking, is this a priority? How would your life change? How would your life change if instead of looking at your calendar and go, I don't know how to make time, go, is this a priority? I promise you your life would change. Because it's not about the time. Time is an excuse. We make time for stuff we want to do. We make time for stuff that pleases our desire. But if I'm going to live like Jack Hayford, if I'm going to live... The way Jesus wants me, I'm gonna say, okay, now how can I stick it to myself? How can I stick it to my own wants and my own desires? I know what I can do. I can join up for a community group because I would really rather watch my show, because my show comes on at the same time. Or mm, sorry, I got real, right? <laughs> and I can say, and I can say, you know what? No, I'm gonna live with urgency and diligency, and I'm gonna be on fire and boiling for God. So instead, what's priority? Is my priority to know what happens? In Chicago Fire, or is my priority to know what happens spiritually. What do I have time for? It's not about what I have time for. It's about what's priority. It's it's setting priority. In Luke chapter 10, we're not going to read this whole thing, so don't put it on the screen, but in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, Jesus arrives at a house of Mary and Martha. And as he arrives, he sits down, and the Bible tells us that the two sisters... Respond to Jesus very differently. You can just write it down in Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42. All right, it's on the screen anyway. So the two sisters reply very differently. Mary says it's the son of God. And Mary sits down at the feet of Jesus, and he begins to teach. And he begins to talk and just kind of relax and hang back. And he's talking with Mary, and he's talking with Lazarus, who is their brother. And he's talking with them. And so on. Martha is over here. And Martha's like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And the house is not dusted. And the floor needs swept. And the dishes are in the sink. And she's freaking out. Oh my gosh, I got to get all this done. Because it's the Son of God and He's in my house. (laughs) Does anybody relate? Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay, your house is dirty. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's because I got Jesus. Now, some of you, I just blew your mind because you were, you were raised that cleanliness is next to godliness. And I just blew your mind on that. Right? But that's not in the Bible. Now, I, I don't want to, you know, I know grandma and mom told you that, but that's not in the Bible. All right? That's, that's, that's made up. Okay? That's not, that's not in here. So Martha's running around crazy and Mary's like just sitting at Jesus' feet. What happens to the siblings, to the two sisters, when one's working her tail off and she looks over and the other one's sitting on the couch talking to Jesus, not doing anything? I know what. I'll tell Jesus, and Jesus will make her get up and come help me clean and do the dishes. I'll go to mom and dad. I'll go to the one who's got the power and tell, and tell. So she said, Jesus... Mary doesn't even care that the house is dirty and you're here. And I love Jesus' reply because he doesn't say her name once. He says it twice. Martha, Martha. Mary knows what's important and she's chosen it. Now here's what's interesting. Martha is older than Mary. Birth order, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Mary, I'm sorry, Mary's here with Jesus. Martha's over there. Do you know what happens to, to us in life? We get so, we're over here and we're so consumed with life, making sure the house is clean, making sure the car is clean, making sure all this stuff. I got to get all this in and I got to run so and so over there, and the nice kids got practice over there, and I got to run. And Martha's over here running around, concerned with life, because the older we get, the more concerned we get with this life and not the next. And it should just be the opposite. And so Mary is over here, and she's the younger, and she's like, no, 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 I'm focusing on Jesus. Because she's not let life get to her yet. And Jesus says, she's the one doing what matters, what's important. You see, Mary sacrificed her house and the cleanliness of the house for Jesus. Jesus she said Jesus is more important. And so by saying yes to Jesus, she said, yeah, I don't have to clean. I don't have to clean. See, by sitting in church, you don't have to vacuum. Come on. Now, that was a huge amen moment. Right? You don't have to wash the windows. You're in church right now. You said yes to God, so you said no to the windows. There you go. See, all the kids that do chores, they just said amen. They beat all you adults. She had a zeal and a passion to hear what Jesus was going to say. Martha was like, i got to get ready for Jesus. Well, Martha, i got news for you. He's already in the house. He's already seen the dirty dishes. Okay? It's okay. And I want to leave you, I just want to leave you with this story. There was a blind girl who went blind somewhere around the age of four. So she had a little bit of memory of vision and seeing things. The doctors told her, you know what, we could we can do an eye transplant, and we probably could get some of your vision back. But she was so mad at God, and so angry with life, that life had done her this way, and People would write her off because she was blind, because she couldn't read, because she couldn't do everything that everybody else could do. and people would write her off, or they would treat her less than because she couldn't, well, let us do that for you because you're blind. And she's like, "I don't want to be treated that way. Stop it." It would make her angry. But she found a guy. she found a guy that loved her and cared for her, and she liked him. Well, one day the doctors came to her and said, "You know what, we've got somebody." donated her eyes and you're going to be able to see we're going to do the surgery. After the surgery she gets out of the hospital and she can kind of faintly see and she realizes that the guy that's loved her all of her life is blind. She's like you're no better than I was. You don't really love me because I was blind and you're blind. And she leaves it. Heartbroken, rejected. He writes a letter to her and he says, now that you can see, I only have one request, that you take care of my eyes. And that is passion. That is sacrifice. That despite the rejection, despite Everything that he encountered, he still loved her and said, I need you to just just take care of my eyes. Whether you accept me or not doesn't matter. It's the same kind of passion that Jesus had when he came to the earth and he died for us on the cross. And He says, I'm doing this for you. Whether you reject me or accept me doesn't matter. I'm going to do this for you anyway. That's passion. Passion sacrifices. Let's stand up this morning. And I want us to examine, are we living with the passion for Christ like we need? Do we have that fire? Do we have that passion? Like Paul said, keep it boiling. Keep it boiling. Keep it, be urgent and diligent with your faith. Are we urgent? Are we diligent? Maybe you're here this morning and Maybe you know Christ died for you, but you've never made it real. You've never taken that step to say, Jesus, I want to trust you with everything that I am. I want to give you my life. I want you to forgive me of the sin of trying to live my life my way. I want to give my life to you. If you're here this morning, we want to pray with you. And so I'm going to ask Lynn and Jesse to come forward up here. And I'm going to pray for us. And Lynn and Jesse want to pray for you. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the passion, for your love, that you gave yourself for us. Even though we might reject you, you continue to reach out to us and to love us and to care for us. You love us through the acts and the kindness of other people. Lord, may we not look at our lives and call them coincidences because there is no coincidence. There is no word for that in your culture when you walked the earth. It was God. And may we see those as God moving in our lives, moving us in a direction. Lord, increase our fire and increase our passion for you. In Jesus' name, amen.